out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed. Hello. Welcome. This is David Esau. This is the C86 show. And uh, this is a special because I've been going through various archives and uh, finding various interviews that I've done over the last five, ten years. Uh, this is one I did with the performance artist Bruce Lacey to find out more about his life. Um, at the time, he was going to be performing at the Norwich Arts Centre. This is the interview. I haven't edited did any of it. Mainly because I'm slightly lazy. But um, if you're interested, fill your boots. If you don't, if you're not, don't bother. Turn it off. Watch something else. Anyway, this is the interview. And it's going to be introduced with me many years ago. With some slightly dodgy equipment. But it's all right. You can hear everything. Hello, this is David Eastall for Future Radio. This afternoon, I'm in the studio of Bruce Lacey. Hello, Bruce. Hello, good afternoon or evening. I don't know when this is being transmitted. This will be in the afternoon. So, Bruce, I'm interviewing you today because you've got a very special event coming up at the Arts Centre soon, haven't you? Yes. Um, we're calling it, and it's probably going to incense a lot of people, Bruce Lacey, a silly bugger artist living at the taxpayer's expense. Because it dawned on me that um, I, um, I was a bank clerk at the age of 17, and I left and joined the Navy in uh, 1945. So I was being paid by the government in the Navy. Then I caught tuberculosis in the Navy, was in hospital for 18 months. And when I left, I went to art school on a government grant, still being paid for. Um, and so for the, for the 1945, to um, about 1955, and then I won a scholarship from the Royal College of Art, so I was still getting money at the taxpayer's expense. And then for a number of years, um, I made props for television, uh, ITV or BBC, which is still money from the taxpayer. And then at some point, I think it was around in the 60s, I then started getting um, grants from the Arts Council, you know, and then that merged into when the grant stopped, I then became unemployment benefit. And then when that stopped, I got retirement pension. So most of my life has been at the taxpayer's expense. But I feel I've given a lot back in being a performer and created a lot of um, pleasure to lots of people, you know. So um, I, I don't feel bad about it, you know. I, you shouldn't feel bad. So look, on the 22nd at the Arts Centre, what is the evening going to consist of? Well, you see, years ago, I'd go to an art school and I'd talk about my life and I'd show films and I'm lacing up the film projector on 16mm as I'm talking and that would go on for at least about two hours or sometimes it would be three hours or something, open-ended, you know. Uh, now, this is the first, and I did nearly every art school in England showing them my films about my work and my life. Uh, this one is quite different because um, I now have DVD and I'm putting about 53-minute clips on different DVD discs and i am got to have an interval halfway through, so I'm very limited. So I'm mainly going to be talking about my life and, and then how it relates to making films and things. Um, but a lot of it... Uh, although we're working out a rough running order, 
um, I still want the freedom to be able to sort of um, change things around. Now, when I perform, uh, it's to me, it's as exciting as going, you're on a toboggan. It's dark. There's no moon out. You're going down a hill in the snow and you've been told there are trees there, you know, which you only see at the last minute. And you go like that and you go like that and you miss them. When you go to the theatre and you see a performance, it's all rehearsed and all worked out and you're seeing something really dead. Mm. And to me, I like to perform where there's an unknown thing, things could go wrong. And if you haven't got anything too well planned, nothing can go wrong because everything that happens is part of it. And to me, it's as exciting as sitting in the bath with Archimedes. Now, Archimedes sat in the bath and he noticed he filled it to the top. And as he got in the bath, all the water went on the floor. And he realised that you didn't have to weigh him. You just had to weigh the water that was displaced. And he cried out, Eureka. Now, you may read about that in a book, but if you're sitting in the bath with him you would have experienced that same excitement that he would have done. So to me, it's rather it's rather like that. I will have to plan some things, because I did do a show when I was at Royal College Rock. I went on the stage with a suitcase full of things and thought, I'll just make it up, and of course, I couldn't. So you do need a rough, a rough outline in which you can flirt with and play around with. And, you know, but I've still got to be restricted. I can't go off for three hours and talk... So for people who haven't come across you, could you just give us an overview of, of you know, what your, the, the history of your artwork has been? Well, I went into the Navy. I wanted to be a, a pilot in the fleet air arm, but war was coming to an end and they said I could be an electrical mechanic. And it was very good because I'd learnt all about engineering and electronics uh, which was all very good when I started making robots. Anyway, I, I went to the Navy, caught TB, then started art as a sort of psychotherapy because there's no cure. Everybody around me dying. Bed rest because tuberculosis only lives on moving tissue. So if you can keep that tissue still, it dies. And some people had terrible cavities and they had to have air pumped in to squeeze the lung together. Some had terrible operations and I became a hypochondriac. There's people there with, in their brain, in their stomach, in their mm. spine and I develop all the symptoms. So for me, I'm screaming out for help and I start drawing pictures of operations as a form of therapy. And most of my life, it has been a sort of therapy, you know. Like uh, my robot, which I showed you downstairs, I was invited in 65 to uh, do a performance at a poetry convention at the Albert Hall with Ginsberg and people. And I said, well, I want to, I've got a full-size statue of the Venus de Milo. I want to smash it up and then sell uh, fragments as art pieces, little bits of plaster. And they said, no, that's too visual. Poetry is about the spoken word. And I thought, all right, can I swear? <laughs> you buggers. 
And I built a robot that came on the stage at the Albert Hall called John Silent and made farting and belch, belching noises as a big sort of piss take. But they thought it was avant-garde because there was a German poem reading a poem about his wife. There was a thing called sound poetry. So instead of them realising I was taking the mickey out of them, they thought, you know, my God, this guy is avant-garde. He's amazing, really. And so most of my life, and then I started making, in cabaret, I started making things called Two Electric Actors. Uh, I'm working in television, making props for the goons and Michael Benteen, and I'm working on a show in which uh, a famous um, ham Shakespearean-type actor called Sir Donald Wolfitt comes to do an excerpt from Julius Caesar, and he wants all Roman furniture. And the best I can do, because Napoleon saw himself as a second... Roman Emperor, I got all um, Napoleonic furniture because it's all got eagles and things and we had this big argument. Then I had another argument with, uh, with another actor and so I built up this hate against actors. So once again, it was therapy. I made these two actors where I'm playing the part of the live actor I hated have a heart attack and they sort of carry on, you know. Of course, I did have a real heart attack in 19... Um, 19 no, 2005... And I now do a performance where I reenact that. I'm dressed as a surgeon and I have a dummy um, replica of myself on the operating table and I say to people, I'm going to operate. I've been asked by the, the um, NHS because they're losing so much money to do it at home using DIY equipment. So I, I do this on the replica of myself. And that's very good therapy, you know. So a lot of art for me has been therapy, you know getting over things. So just keeping on to the theme of the 60s, you also appeared in one of the Beatles films. How did that come about? Well, in working with um, Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers, the American film director, a guy called Dick Lester, who then called himself Richard Lester when he started making films, um, a lot of my friends at art school um, who became television directors and then film directors... Um, it's a big step going into a, a film studio to shoot a film and they would feel a little bit apprehensive and they'd very often get lots of their mates in uh, playing small parts so they could all sit around having drinks together because um, so they'd have friends around them, you know. And so uh, I was asked to play this part in um, in Help as a gardener in George Harrison's bedroom, which a uh, big brass bed and it looked like a green carpet. It was actually grass. And I'm doing cabaret in West End Cabaret the night before, in which I skid across the stage on my knees, take all my, all the skin off my knees, and I don't know what I'm going to do in the Beatles film, Help. But suddenly they say, oh, you've got to go on your knees as a gardener, uh, cutting the grass with these false sort of teeth. And so it's seeing me, I mean, agonies as I'm doing it. And then when they're, they're singing, Hey, you've got to hide your love away. Uh, I'm there miming the last pit on a flute, which they didn't tell me because I'm a perfectionist. I would have got all the fingering right, but I'm just doing any old thing <laughs> on my fingers, you know.
And then working with Spike Milligan, um, Peter Sellers had this idea to make a film called The Running, Jumping and Standing Still film, uh, which I supplied all the props, all the special effects, all the costumes, and played one of the funniest parts in the film, where Peter Sellers comes up to me and I give him a sort of a, a haughty sort of um, turned-up nose look at him. And as he goes away, I pull out an, uh, an LP from my pocket, nade it to the centre of a tree stump, and put a, a gramophone pickup with a tube going to a horn, and I put the needle on the groove, and then I run round the record <laughs> very fast, you know. Um, so then, after the sixties, you you became much more interested in the the Albion and Barsham fairs. How did that? How did your work go from film to performance? Well, after doing my electric actors, um, someone said. Um, because I'd given up painting after I left the Royal College of Art and I went into cabaret and I did these electric actors and someone said, that looks like art, it looks like a neo-dada. So I, I was making lots of things to do with things that worried me, spare part surgery, um, overpopulation of the world, colour prejudice, and so I started making lots of so-called assemblages or, as they say in France, assemblage. And then I had exhibitions at the... Um, the Marlborough in London Gallery and things like that. Uh, well, then, um, because I'd wanted to be a pilot and then identified with all the Apollo missions and then wanted to be an astronaut and started doing performances, I made a, a spacesuit doing performances of British landing on the moon. And then I got interested in the stars and various things. And then I was starting doing science fiction performances and then I was driving down to Cardiff on the old A4 with a van load of machines to exhibit at the Arts Council Gallery in Cardiff and saw Silbury Hill and discovered stone circles like Avebury and things. And then I got to thinking about when people were, before Stone Age, when they were hunter-gatherers, how they lived in close harmony with nature, as birds, trees, insects do now, We'd worn clothes and we cut ourselves off. Is there some way we can get in touch? And I thought variations in the Earth's gravity or variations in the Earth's magnetic field. So I went to the last Barsham, um, uh, medieval fair at Barsham in 1976. At the height of the drought, August Bank Holiday did a whole ritual, Earth fertility ritual, in which I had a big piece of cotton wool with um, a sponge inside and a bolt of lightning from a bit of metal stuck in and I squeezed uh, all the water out to, to make the earth fertile. Two hours later, a violent thunderstorm and the whole drought came to an end. All these Christians started singing hymns, accusing me of doing sympathetic magic. You know? And then I, so I started doing rituals and things. And most of the Albuin affairs had themes. Uh, fire fair and earth fair and things and lots of theatre groups would go and do what they were doing anyway it could be the reenactment of the second world war but myself and my partner uh, Jill we we used to do things to do with the theme of the fair and we used to capture the spirit of the fair you know and so I became a sort of um, a sort of shaman you know and the incredible thing was uh, this is getting onto the realms of magic. Uh, all sorts of amazing coincidences started happening now. So I, I do believe in a form of telepathic magic, where um, 
you do rituals and you're wishing for things lurking in your mind and somehow or other uh, you're thinking of someone you haven't seen for 40 years and suddenly there's a hand on your shoulder and they're there. So really amazing things happen, you know. Um, so um, I, I still carry on doing doing performances, you know. So was there much of a, a link, you know, did you feel like you'd had to become a different, quite a different person from that, per, you know, from the 60s with, you know, Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan to, to suddenly be in Barsham Fair, was it? Well, what I found is that I have these amazing metamorphoses, metamorphoses, um, caterpillar, it starts off being an egg and then it turns into whatever, a grub and then a caterpillar and then it goes through that process very painful you know and emerges as a butterfly or a moth well I, I keep having that you know uh, one thing when I went to hospital with TB I'd never drawn or painted before and I become a whole new person you know reinvent myself and then it goes on until I have all these terrible experiences in television and I reinvent myself as a sculptor getting all these things hating about different things um, or worried about overpopulation and things like that and I'm going full tilt at that when suddenly I discover some circles and I have this great revelation. And because you do have a gestation period, you know, whereas, I mean, it takes you five years or so to change and you're all churning around inside and you're feeding away of how you can manifest this in some way. And the thing with hunter-gatherers and stone circles, that evolved into doing rituals and things, you know. So you have all these different rebirths which is amazing, you know. So with with some of your some 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 of your rituals, you sort of brought in sort of things of the North American Indian influence. How did that sort of develop? Well, it's any. I mean, I don't read anything about, and you can't read anything about North American Indian rituals. Um, the one trouble was I started off at Barsham by taking an Indian teepee with me, and I soon got rid of that. And the teepee I then used was a one made in France. I thought this is getting more European, which is a sort of uh, ethnic thing. Uh, it's um, um, Mesolithic, I think, uh, a French teepee, which isn't like a, a North American Indian teepee. But they've all come from instinctive putting things together, you know. Uh, very soon after I started doing rituals, or right from the beginning, I felt I had to tune in in some way by doing a ritual to do with earth, air, fire and water, which were the ancient elements. that, um, And that, for me, is a sort of tuning in. And I find that if I have a wish for something, you know, um, I don't manifest that in the ritual. I'm doing the ritual about the earth, the mother goddess, or wishing particular things well. It might be a fertility ritual for someone that... Um, finds they can't have children or something and, um, and I find that the wish is there in a subconscious way and it's amazing how it comes true you know um, I find that if you're thinking about it while you're doing it the wish doesn't happen so right. one of the one of the things you, you mustn't even think about it you know and it always comes as a shock and it's been the most amazing things that have happened you know so have you felt like your life has been somehow blessed when you look back on it? You know, do you feel like it's been, it's because of, you know, like your positive thoughts, energy, that, that things have kind of stepped stepped into place as they have? Yes, I don't believe what people say, fate, that it's all mapped out. It's not that at all. It's, it's through a whole series of meandering of things 
And very often there's a phone call and I pick it up and that even a phone call completely changed my life. Someone's asked me to do something or other and I think about it and that changes, you know. So um, I'm likely to change it any minute. If the phone should ring now, goodness knows what it would be. But I mean, I don't just wait on chance things. I do make decisions to go and do things, you know. Like when I started making assemblages, I decided to go to an art gallery and they put me onto another gallery. And then, So I do do positive things, you know. But very often, you know, um, there'll be a thing like I want to have an exhibition and I do a ritual in which I'm um, thinking about that as part of the ritual and then the phone or someone drops in and buys something and I think, well, the ritual, no one's phoned me from a gallery and I realise that with that money they bought something, I can have my buy my own gallery, rent my own gallery, you know. So things are... But you see, you can't do this if you've got a job. You've got a nine-to-five job. I'm lucky that even in television I was freelance. I was always floating around... Um, able to move and change. But if you've got a nine-to-five job, you can kill that stone dead. So I suggest to everybody, you give up your job and you just meander and follow dreams and wishes and things. You know? Give up your job. Oh, that's a lovely thought. I think we should all do that, Bruce. Well, thank you ever so much for talking to me. And again, your show is on the 22nd... 22nd at Norwich Arts Centre. So I'll see... o'clock, I think. I'll see you there. Thank you ever so much, Bruce, for talking to me. Thank you.